How's everybody? Good, yes, great, I love it. It's good to see you tonight. My name is Tiffany. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we've been in this midweek series. As you all know, you're the midweek warriors who show up week in and week out uh, because you want to dive deep, and we've been in this worship series, and so I'm really super um, excited about it. So find somebody close to you, slap them five, and say, it's about to get real. (laughs) It's about to get real. I heard them say, it's okay, you're in church, you're safe. It's okay, it's okay. Um, I love this topic of worship, not just because I do consider myself a worshiper. I am a musical worshiper, as you all know, but one thing that I love about this series is that we're learning more and more that worship is not just about what we do for the 20 or 30 minutes here on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning. It is much more vast than that. It's about our obedience to God. It's, it's quite literally the way that we conduct our lives. It's, it's how we interact with God in every area of our lives and in everything. You've probably heard it said that worship is a lifestyle. Uh, and yes, in fact, it is. Um, I actually get to preach on that in this series about a month from now. But for tonight, I'm going to share with you about what it looks like to worship from a broken place, through pain, in the midst of storms and trials, when we can't see the woods through the trees, when we just don't understand, when it seems like God doesn't care, when we're grieving and when we're tired. The title of my message tonight is A Broken-Hearted Hallelujah. I want to pray before we jump in tonight. God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence that's already here. Lord, I thank you for what you did in our hearts through worship tonight, where you reminded us that you never fail, where you reminded us, God, as we sung songs about you being the miracle worker, God, where you showed us what it looks like to have new life in you through the waters of baptism. God, I pray that tonight your spirit would continue to lead us as we open up your word. God, would you bring it alive in our hearts? Lord, let us see things in the scripture tonight that maybe we haven't seen before. Let us see you and let us see ourselves. We love you, God, and we give you this time. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Take this and make it alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite worshipers in the Bible is David. He was a man after God's own heart, a worshiper who experienced many victories and also many hardships, many failures and trials. He had to trust God when no one was watching and when all eyes were on him. I love the story of how David was anointed king in 1 Samuel 16, and although this is not going to be our main text tonight, I want to share this story because it gives us a backdrop and some perspective that maybe we haven't seen before, and then we'll read our main text. Just to summarize, for a moment, we find Samuel in uh, first, um, I'm sorry, we find David in 1 Samuel 16. He is out in the fields with the sheep. And all of his brothers are at the city gate with with their dad. And Samuel 
God tells Samuel, hey, I've resisted Saul. He's no longer the man. I want you to go from here, from Ramah. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to anoint the man that I show you to be king. And Samuel says, well, Lord, there's just one problem. I think Saul might kill me if I do that. So how does this work? He said, I want you to take a sacrifice with you. I want you to tell them uh, that you are coming to sacrifice to the Lord. And so that's exactly what Samuel did. He took out, he, he went out on this one, in, at one hour and 45 minute uh, trip via foot, probably had an entourage. He had his heifer along with him. He shows up to the city gate and Jesse and, the seven, and his seven sons are there, and, and they're all trembling, and they're like, whoa, Samuel's in town. We must be in trouble. They're trembling, and Samuel says, no, 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 I come in peace. I come to bring a sacrifice. And he said, matter of fact, Jesse and your seven sons, would you join me? I'd just like to consecrate you for a minute and invite you to come to sacrifice. And so he does, and the first son of Jesse shows up, and, and Samuel thinks for sure this is the one. This is the one who you're going to anoint king. And God tells Samuel, no, he looks like a king. He walks like a king. He acts like a king, but he's not a king. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I'm looking for a heart. And one by one, he goes through the seven brothers, no king. And Samuel says to Jesse, is this everybody? Is this all there is? And Samuel and Jesse was like, well, I mean, I got one, one young one, but he's a shepherd. He just takes care of the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. Somebody go get him. Everyone's going to stand here until he shows up. And as soon as David walks in the room, Samuel says, he's it. That's the one that God has anointed. And Samuel anoints him. And we know how the story continues to go. Imagine for a moment with me as I just take a little bit of liberty to think about our, human, our humanity. You know, David, he was a king in the Bible, but he was a man. He was a human just like the rest of us. Imagine he's out in the fields with his sheep. Maybe he sees Samuel's entourage coming as they pass through the hills on their way to Jerusalem. Imagine someone running out to the field saying, David, Samuel's in town. And bruh, he's got your brothers and your dad, and they're all invited to the sacrifice. Man, that's messed up, David. They didn't even call for you. What's up with that? You love God the most, man. You write all the worship songs. They didn't even think about you. They're supposed to love you and look out for you. That's your family, the ones who are supposed to care about you the most. And then here comes the enemy. I'm certain with lies after lies after lies about his insignificance. Insert the lies that the enemy tells you when you're feeling overlooked and betrayed, when your heart is in pain. See, the enemy, he always kicks us when we're down. And I think that David was anguished about this situation. One, because he's human like we are. None of us want to be overlooked, right? But number two because of the song he wrote about that time in his life. 
Psalm 39, which is our main text tonight, is this song that he wrote when he, about this time in his life. I'd like you to stand with me. We're going to read the word together. I'm reading from Psalm 39. This is um, my 1984 NIV. This, um, this is tattered and torn. My mom gave me this to me in Easter 1990. Wow. That tells you that I'm older than you think I am. Um, but um, so if this is a little bit different than what's on the screen, then just bear with me. This is Psalm 39. We're going to read the whole thing for the director of music for Jedithum, a Psalm of David. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But even when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And even as I meditated, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, not, but, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth and he doesn't even know who will get it. But now, Lord, who do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth for you are the one who has done this to me. Remove your scourge from me. I'm overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and disciple men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I know I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all of my fathers were before me. Look away from me, Lord, that I might rejoice again before I depart and am no more. You can take your seat. How do we worship when our hearts are broken? When we find ourselves in a place we never thought we would be. When we're waiting for a promise, but there's no hope in sight. When it seems like everyone else is seen, but I'm overlooked. When we're grieving. How do I give God my hallelujah in the midst of pain? Hallelujah is a Hebrew expression. We often hear it used in the context of praise and worship. We said it tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The word itself is a transliteration into Greek of two Hebrew words. Halal or hallel. This word means to extol the greatness or excellence of a person, object, or event to praise or a song of praise. It conveys the idea of praising, boasting, and celebrating. And Yahweh, 
Yahweh is the covenant name of God. So to say hallelujah is saying extol greatness to our covenant keeping God or praise God who keeps all of his covenants. I'd like us to learn tonight from David's response to his pain how we offer our hallelujah to God even when we're brokenhearted. I drew out five things from this passage that I think is going to help us know how better to offer our hallelujah from these broken places. The first thing is we need to find some friends who will worship with us. As David pens this psalm, he thinks of friends who he knows will war in worship with him, and he actually invites them to join. I don't know if that happened before in the moment or after he wrote the psalm, but I think it's significant that he mentions these two individuals because he doesn't do that in every one of his psalms. He says, for the music director, quite literally the Darians, He says, and the Jedithan, quite literally, the worship leader, the the Darbys, the Miatas, the Lisas. He, He calls his worship leader friends and he says, I can't sing this song alone because I'm desperate and I'm in pain. Will you lift this hallelujah with me? We need friends who will war against the enemy with us in the middle of our pain. We need a murderer's row of worshipers around us. This team, Murderer's Row, uh, came from the formidable 1927 New York Yankees, all the baseball fans in the room. I'm not a baseball fan, so I got this from Google, and if it's not right, you can tell me afterwards. This Yankees team was led by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And they had an exceptionally strong batting lineup. Their hitting prowess made it difficult for any opposing pitcher. Good luck going up against them. While this term originated in baseball, it's been used more broadly to describe exceptionally talented and powerful individuals who present a particularly strong and intimidating collective. Who is your intimidating collective of people? Who do you trust to worship with you through the pain? Who do you call when the enemy is beating you up and beating you down? I want you to take a minute and pull out your phone or write in your notes. Who are my battle warriors? I want you to ask the Lord, who are my battle warriors? Who are my heavy hitters in the spirit who can help me see what God is doing? And who will worship with me when I go through? I'm going to give you a minute to think about that and write it down. You're going to need to know who that is. And if you say, well, Pastor Tiffany, I don't have people like that. I'm glad that came up. Because there are service teams everywhere in this church that you can join and find community, a community of battle warriors. You can join a small group, shout out to HB. You can find someone to disciple you or you can get a pastoral appointment. There are people in this church who wanna help you walk through what God is bringing you through. The second thing I see is that we need to be careful not to allow the anguish we feel in the moment to become the voice track of our life. David goes on to say, 
I'll put a muzzle on my mouth before I will allow anguish to take over my speech. We're so often focused on ourselves, on our pain, on our desires and our reputation that we miss what God is trying to do in our lives. And before we know it, we're spewing out this, these word curses all over the place. And when we allow that feeling of anguish and despair to lead us, it goes from ungodly thoughts to ungodly words to ungodly actions very quickly. We don't want to allow anguish and pain to corrupt our worship because that's exactly what the enemy is after. You remember the Israelites? They worshiped God, a living God, by a pillar of fire. They were unstoppable as long as God was in their camp. The only way to beat them was to get God out of their camp, and, that, and the only way to do that was to corrupt their worship. Let me say that again. The only way to beat them was to get God out of their camp. And the only way to do that was to corrupt their worship. And this is just what the enemies of Israel did. And that is exactly what the enemy of our soul wants to do to us. He wants to corrupt our worship. Lord, if I can't say anything good, help me not to say it at all. My anguish will not become the voice track of my life. I want us to take a minute and pause and ask God. Lord, would you put your Holy Ghost filter between my thoughts and my tongue? Teach me to speak your truth when I'm feeling pain. We need the filter of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord. The third thing we can do, we can allow our anger to work for us, not against us. How can we do that? We can let it fuel our curiosity. How can my anger work for me, you say? Well, I see David in anguish and pain, really upset about his circumstance. But he gets very curious with God. When he finally decides he's going to open up his mouth, David says, God, would you show me how fleeting my life is? Take me outward. Let me come out. Let me have your perspective of my life. Show me how temporary this situation is in comparison to eternity. My life is but a breath. So what is this moment to you? When we can say this, it means God, you see my beginning from my end, so you must be up to something. Show me what you're up to. Bring me in on it, God. I want to know. When we go through trials, you fill in the blank. When God seems to be delaying or not caring or doing nothing about our problem, how do we respond? Does it fuel our anger? Or does it fuel our curiosity? I was watching a sermon by Priscilla Shirer, and she told this story about her seven-year-old son who she was having a conversation with, and he revealed to her that he wanted to be like her when he grew up. When he grew up, he wanted to do what she did, 
when, when he grew up. And she was so touched, and she said, oh, son, that's so great. She said, what does mommy do that you want to do? Because, you know, she does a lot. She's thinking he'll say preaching, teaching, writing, something. He says, nothing. I want to do nothing. <laughs> She's like, do you know how those clothes get folded and put in the drawer? Do you know how those meals get put on you? You know how the Uber drive the taxi? You know how you get from point? Do you know how I put these sermons together? Do you know I have to be up all night because I've been caring for you all day? She's doing a lot, but to him it's nothing. We know the hand of God is moving in our lives because there's food on our table, there's folded clothes in the drawer, there's... But when anger and despair lead us, we're not able to see the providence of God in our lives. When we're grieving, do we draw close to him? Do we get curious about what he's doing in our lives or do we distance ourselves from him? Do we really trust that he has our best interest in mind? Church, I want you to ask yourself tonight, ask God, what do you want me to see about you, about myself? Lord, would you allow these feelings of anguish and pain to fuel my curiosity about what you're doing in me rather than leading me into despair? Church, it's going to go one way or the other. You're already in a place of despair. Number four, we need to look for God's hope. We need to see every opportunity as a moment to trust him. David goes on to say, no matter how I feel, yet will I trust you. Now, Lord, I look to you. You are where my hope comes from. My hope is in you. I wonder if we ever consider that our circumstances, our, our, our struggles, our trials, our suffering might be an opportunity for God to lead us in a different way, to lead us into victory, for him to rescue us in ways that we don't understand. Do we ever consider that when it looks like he's doing nothing, there's actually a lot happening on our behalf that we can't even see. If God is the one who sets up kings and deposes them, if promotion comes from the Lord, if provision comes from the Lord, then my hope is not in what God can do for me. It's in who he is. His infallible nature, his sovereignty, his preeminence, that's where my hope is. And church, God loves us, but he is not our bondservant. We are his bondservants. If he says no, there's a reason for it. If he says wait, there's a reason for it. But what will you choose to do in the meantime? I counted a blessed opportunity for us to put our hope, faith, and trust in Jesus again and again and again and again. This is the walk of faith.
Faith is like a muscle. The more that you use it, the stronger it gets. He wants to strengthen us in our faith. He doesn't want to leave us in despair. I want you to ask God tonight, is my trust misplaced? Where, where is it misplaced? Where have I put my hope in an outcome rather than in you? Lord, would you show me tonight? I, like, I really want you to pray that prayer silently. Lord, would you show me tonight if my hope is misplaced? Let me put it back in you, in who you are. And not what I want from you, but in who you are, Jesus. And number five, David goes to the place of prayer. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Even if you don't have an answer right away, I just want to know that you're listening. I just want to know that you're there. Just remind me that you're walking with me. Just tell me, do you hear me crying out to you? That'll be enough for me, God. When life is not going the way that I planned, what is my knee-jerk reaction? Is it to cry out to the Lord? Or is it to call a friend and cry to my friend? Is it to talk to Jesus or to take matters into my own hands? Church, we cannot avoid suffering. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of living in a fallen world. We cannot avoid suffering. So when we suffer, we have to see it as an opportunity to draw closer to God in prayer, to identify with Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering. This is the sacrifice of praise. When with a broken heart, we sing hallelujah anyway. Philippians 3, 10 through 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly professes his name. Lord Jesus, when I'm faced with suffering, do I openly profess your name? God is inviting us to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. When we experience pain and betrayal and trials, we've got to realize that our sin made him feel the way that we feel right now. A couple of years ago, I went through the worst trial I've ever had in my 40-some years of life. And as I laid crumpled on the floor in my music room, the Spirit of God came to me and he said, Tiffany, will you identify with me in the fellowship of my suffering? Because this is what it feels like. And I'm like, oh, Lord. It sounds really good, but I don't know if I can do it. He said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. 
I want us to thank God together for listening to our cries for help. I want to thank you, God, for listening to my cries for help. And even when you didn't give me the answer I was looking for, you walked with me and you held my hand and you were my comforter and my counselor and my friend and you saw me and you knew me and your ears were not deaf to my weeping and you were not a stranger to my pain, but you held me close and you reminded me of who I am in you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that you receive my broken-hearted hallelujah. And thank you that it is precious to you. When I can give you a broken-hearted hallelujah, it means I'm fully reliant on you. It means that I'm dependent on you. It means that your strength is available when I'm weak. I'm broken and sinful and wretched at best, but you've redeemed me. So my hallelujah, it means something to you. It means that when my heart was breaking, I could still trust you. It means that when people were gossiping and talking about me, I could still count on you to have my back. It means that when I was facing an unknown future, I could hold your hand and let you lead me. I can see your providence in the details of my life. You've been so faithful. You've been so good. When I walked through the lowest valleys and cried lots and lots of tears, you caught them. And like Psalm 84, 6 says, you turned them into springs, into pools of refreshing. And now I get to throw pool parties for all my friends. Anyone who gets to come into my presence and spend time with me gets to spend time with Jesus in the pool of his refreshing. That pool was formed in the lowest valleys of my life. Lord, help us never to get to a place where we're stuck looking around rather than looking up at you. We thank you for your heart for us, God. And help me, Lord Jesus, never to withhold even the most broken-hearted hallelujah from you. Because no matter what I'm going through, you're still worthy of my worship. Halal, praise, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. From this broken and shattered heart, halal, praise, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. From a place of uncertainty, halal, praise, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. In my weakness, praise, the covenant-keeping God. When I don't understand, praise, the covenant-keeping God. When I think you're doing nothing, Lord, I still give you praise because you're a covenant-keeping God. When I'm angry and when I'm sad and when I'm in anguish, I still give you praise because you are the God who keeps your covenants to a thousand generations. Help me to stop looking around and look up. Maybe some of you are here tonight with a broken heart. Maybe you're facing a really hard situation. 
Maybe you've been waiting for God's promise and your hope's just waning. Maybe you've been betrayed, like Jesus. Maybe you find yourself in a place you said you'd never be. God still wants your hallelujah. And church, he deserves it tonight. So I want to invite you, if, if Doc Brown could come, I want to invite you. To worship God wherever you are. Whatever you're believing him for. Wherever you find yourself. He's calling us. And wooing us. And drawing us to himself. He's making himself known. Even through the despair. And if that's you. If you would say. Tonight I'm broken hearted. I'm angry, I'm in pain and anguish. I feel tormented, I feel alone. Whatever the thing is, I wanna invite you down to this altar to give God your brokenhearted, hallelujah. And I want us to believe God together as we stand. Let's all stand to our feet. And the altar is open for you. There's no shame, there's no embarrassment, but I believe tonight that God has freedom for us as we bring our hallelujah to the altar, as we offer it to him. He's gonna lead us into freedom. Don't be shy. God, you're inviting us into this great exchange where we give you our sorrow and you replace it with your joy. Where we give you our ashes and you give us beauty. Where we give you our limited, finite perspective and you give us your eternal promise where we lay down our fear and we get your love instead. Where we lay down hopelessness at your feet, God, and you give us hope. Where we surrender anxiety to you and you give us your peace. This is our brokenhearted hallelujah. We sing hallelujah, 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 yeah. We sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Sing it out. We sing Hallelujah. Pastors and ministers, if you could just pray, just come lay hands, believe God. Hallelujah. As we offer, we sing Hallelujah. 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 
we sing, we sing hallelujah, 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 we sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, you see every heart. You see every life that's standing here at this altar. You see every tear that's being shed. God, you are catching those tears in the lowest of valleys. God, I pray that as your sons and your daughters lay everything down at the foot of your cross, as they surrender at your altar, God, that you would give them your peace that you would change their perspective, that you would lead them into freedom, God, that you would lead them into new hope. Lord, you know every single situation that is represented here, and you care so deeply. Lord, every broken hallelujah means something to you. So God, thank you for changing our perspective tonight. I just feel the Lord is like actually recalibrating our vision to see things different, to trust him in a new way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're a covenant-keeping God. Praise to the covenant-keeping God, the one who never forgets his sons and daughters, the one who never leaves us alone, the one who sticks closer than a brother, the one who never fails, the one who never leaves, the one who never forsakes. God, you are with us. And though the storms crash and the waves get big, God, we thank you that you are a shield You are a shield around about us. Thank you for inviting us deeper into relationship with you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for the work, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this room, for what you're doing in the hearts and what you've done in the hearts of your sons and your daughters. 
we honor you tonight. We thank you for a renewed vision. We thank you that you accept our brokenhearted hallelujah. You actually like, as we believe you through these circumstances, you like credit it to us as righteousness. So in hope, against hope, we choose to believe tonight. We thank you, God, for what you've done here. You are a covenant-keeping God. All glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name.